Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. Well, oddly enough, today is Monday, Dan. And as you're seeing, as you look outside your window, the rain, she's a coming. It came through here in Morristown, New Jersey. Woo! But we got a storm for you because we're bringing Carter Braxton Worth in. And the storm for us comes in the form, Dan Nathan, wait for it, of earnings. This is Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. It's Monday, July 25th. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting joins us always on Mondays and Wednesdays. This is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered, in fact, by Tomorrow Dan. And we are powered by Open Exchange, and I am powered by coffee. How are you, Dan? You, you are powered by caffeine. Welcome, Carter Braxton Worth, Guy Adami. We are here on a gloomy Monday. Guy, just so you know, that storm is moving east. It just hit Carter and me here in New York City here, but it's all happening. All right. What else is all happening is we got a big week, right? We yeah. got the earnings that you just mentioned. So we have like 35% of the S&P 500 reporting. We have, you know, the five big tech names other than Tesla. We had Tesla last week. We have the Fed meeting. We have this GDP print. I did see something again, you know, because it was on the internet, we have to believe it here that it was something that the Fed's preparing for a negative Q2 print for GDP, which would mean we're in a recession. Carter, do you care about two consecutive negative readings in a mild sort of, I mean, this is a mild <coughs> recession if this is yeah, what that's we got all, right here. That's all rear view mirror. I mean, you think about how much the market is always ahead of all of this. The market peaked, right, in many ways, 10, 12 months ago in terms of breath. And the slowdown that's coming out is is all just known by the market. Yeah. Politics suck. They're boring. Yeah. But yeah. And again, does it really matter? We've debated that whether we're in one, going into one. And I think for the sake of what we do, I don't necessarily know that if it matters or not. But I'll say this. Didn't the White House just put out some edict or something saying, well, the definition of a recession really isn't what you think it is, which leads me to believe we're probably going to see that negative print, which technically would mean we are currently in or have been in one. So again, not that it matters, but I mean, I think that's what we're setting ourselves up for. Well, all right, fine. I mean, who cares what there was, you know, we can define them however we want. It's funny. Go look at our friend, Liz Young. You call her EY from SoFi, her Twitter feed. I mean, every morning there's just kind of a slew of data points that she's putting out, which feels pretty recessionary. We know that there's other strategists who do the same thing. Here was one from a couple hours ago, chief executive magazine, CEO confidence index. I know guy you've been on the cover of that. You've been a cover boy of Chief Executive Magazine's CEO Confidence. But she said it's down a lot in 2022, but nowhere near the 08, 09. I mean, like, again, the surveys just come out. The data points come out. Nothing feels particularly good right now as it relates to the market here. Carter, you were up, I guess, contemplating a lot of this and what it means for the S&P 500. You did your worth charting midnight madness review and you were looking at the S&P 500 here. Walk us through this here a little bit because I know that you and Guy have both been playing for a move to 4,000, possibly above it. I know between maybe 4,100 or 4,150. Where are we here? And talk to us about some of the data you're looking at. Yeah, so it's all very sequential, right? And sequencing is important in life, in the markets. And this bounce is, again, on schedule, has occurred. The question is, is it over? For the first time, I'm thinking that. You can see the table there. It's very straightforward, right? Four sell-offs, and they're very distinct. Four rebounds, they're very distinct in terms of magnitude and duration. Let's look at the chart of the S&P with those actual zigs and zags highlighted. Now, does this have to end here? There's that unfilled gap at 4017, spot 17. We got above 4,000. It just 
feels like we're kind of out of gas here. So my hunch is, at a minimum, that the bounce ends and we have a down leg here coming. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. Friday, I guess, was the reversal day. The S&P did print a little north of 4,000 and a pretty significant reversal. Again, just for sake, just so we're clear, you know, I've thought for a while, since June 15th, actually, that we'd see 4,100 maybe an overshoot to 4,200. But to Carter's point and the work that he's done suggests that maybe I was too ambitious there. And we'll see his earnings come up very quickly. But, you know, the charts say it all, Dan, and here we are. And Carter's yeah. work, if you look, these measured moves, I mean, really speak to maybe we're on the cusp of something in terms of the next leg. So, so, so two questions for you guys. I'm going to start with Carter. You just mentioned that the breadth had topped out in the market months and months ago, okay, obviously leading to, you know, ahead of some of the data that we're seeing, whether you want to call a recession, call a fundamental thing or not. But to your work, you know, you had called for this bounce here. What is this, some of the sort of data? Is it exactly that sequencing that we've seen, the kind of sell-offs and the rallies and getting to certain points and getting exhausted? What was some of the things causing you to think that now – Okay, we just got above that 4,000. We had that reversal, like Guy mentioned. And then now, what is your target to the downside if we were to pull back? Sure. Well, it's also and always looking at individual stocks, whether it's Apple, the biggest or others, so many stocks have ricocheted so substantially. In many cases, double the market. Market's up 10%, up 20 and up 25. And just feels like we've expended a lot of energy and we just don't have that much more to go. Now, of course, this week will determine everything. But my thinking is, that we start to approach the lows again. Yeah. So, Guy, was there anything fundamental of some of the companies that reported last week or some of the data that you heard or some of the things, whether it be out of the White House or economists in general, that caused you to think, okay, you know what, at this point, if you're playing for another, I don't know, 2% or so, maybe you're trying to be a little too cute, especially if you're looking at the sequencing that Carter has laid out, and especially given your fundamental framework for the economy right now. It's not particularly constructive. You were making a call about the market, right? Having a little pressure release there. Two very different things. Yeah, no, completely different things. Nothing that I've heard from the White House or in the administration or any economist or talking heads for that matter has changed my opinion. So what I think we're in the midst of or what we're about to go into without question, nothing's changed. If anything, it just continues to sort of, I think, galvanize what I've been thinking all along really comes down to the price action. I think Carter nailed it. So what I've been hearing just reinforces my thoughts that, you know, things are slowing down despite what some of these people will say that earnings are coming in better than expected. I mean, I would actually have submitted that. It's really not about these past quarter earnings. It's really about forward guidance and what lies in store. And quite frankly, I don't think what lies in store is all that robust. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. We're going to hit some of the big names that are reporting this week. You know what they are, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, and we'll throw in the meta there. And that is, you know, Carter's going to walk us through some of the work that he's doing on a technical basis. Guy and I are going to kind of jump in and give our two cents as it relates to a fundamental basis and what we kind of think from a sentiment standpoint, because these names are really important. And also to your point, Guy, all of these things, there could be two disasters and there could be two great reports. They just cancel themselves out. They're just not, they might not do the thing that you think they can do. And I would also say we're going to talk about snap a little bit i think it's interesting that a company the size of snap on the revenue base that they have could have the implications Mm -hmm. for the broader market it was kind of maybe one of those things that's a canary in the coal mine or just a good reminder and the last thing i'm just going to say we had gene munster of loot ventures on our podcast friday on the tape that dropped in your podcast stores 
he and I went for about 40 minutes on all of these names as a bit of a preview. And there's nobody better on a fundamental basis to take a look at those. So check out On The Tape podcast with Guy Adami, myself, and Gene Munster from last Friday. All right, Carter, let's get into it, buddy. Talk to us about these names. Right. So obviously, top five, it was always, of course, Meta being in that. And Meta had its fall from grace change its name, and Tesla ascended into the top five. But let's go through them one at a time, and we can do some meta again. But we know how important they are for the market, basically 40-plus percent of the Qs, 20 percent of the S&P. So a couple ways to draw the line in Apple. But Apple, that's a very well-defined trend line, right? And after a breaking trend, it threw back to the underside, hit its head, and now it's back again up 20 to 23% to the underside of that trend line. And notice where the 150-day moving average is, it is coming down quickly and they're about to meet. I think we might have another iteration or two of this chart, but basically Apple is, I would characterize it as a rally to a difficult level. Google, talk about, and the problem here is how poor the relative strength is. I mean, we know the Qs have bounced. We know the S&P has bounced. Google's put on no bounce at all. And so it's, I mean, sort of epic top, it's bullish to bearish reversal. It's, it's, it's rollover is very much intact. And I would say downside risk there. What else do we have on the list here? Mr. Softy, I believe. Yeah, but wait, wait, hold on. Let's take a pause for one second here. Let's look at these two names because I think they're really interesting because Apple is the one that obviously most people are focused on, $2.5 trillion of market cap, largest one. And again, this is an expression of consumer interest pulled forward during the pandemic, maybe supply chain issues with, you know, the whole, it's got everything wrapped up in there. It doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of exposure to enterprise. But Guy, give me your two cents here because when Carter draws that line going back, what, a year, year and a half? or so, you see that break here and it's kind of doubled the performance of the S&P 500 off of lows, which Carter just mentioned. What is your, like, to me, expectations look kind of high heading into the print right now. I think, and again, you know, I've been, been proven to be wrong so many times, it's not even worth counting. But as you look at this stock in earnings, I think the setup is not good at all in terms of this bounce that we've seen from effectively 122, seemingly you know, two and a half, three weeks ago at a current level, traded right up to the trend line. You have a moving average, it's rolling over. Everything suggests it's going to exhaust itself to the upside and take that next leg lower. By the way, one of my premises on June 15th was the market has put in a short-term bottom. We would rally for the next month or so into Apple earnings. I thought we would see 4,100, but I thought the market would then reverse on the back of Apple earnings, which are this week. So, I'm not going to run from that. I'm actually yeah. going to sort of reinforce those beliefs that when Apple reports, it's not going to be about the quarter necessarily. I think it's going to be about the guide. And I think people are, are not going to like what they hear. And we'll see. But the warning signs have been out there. I think the reason that Apple has bounced is effectively it's extraordinarily defensive for people. So as people have fled from energy and fled from other of these high valuation tech names, I think they found themselves fleeing into Apple. I think that worked while it did. I don't think yeah. it's going to work for much longer. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Again, you know, we have an S&P that's down, what, 16 17% on the year. The NASDAQ that's down 26%. Apple's only down, what, like 13% or so. It seems like a very crowded trade. And also one where, you know, we spent a lot of time earlier this year talking about valuations and how they had to come in with estimates as they came in, right, for the broad market here. Well, this thing still trades at about 25 times this year's earnings, about 24 times 
next. Earnings and sales expected to grow, I don't know, mid to you know, high, single high digits. single digits at best, okay, at best. So if those if those numbers come down, and you know, we just mentioned all of those things, you know, consumer demand, dollar, you know, being a U.S. multinational, having issues with China. There's just a lot there. So I'm also in the camp where if you have a decent quarter, stock's not going to trade on that. It really is going to be about guidance. And I just don't know how they're going to be able to guide with any sort of visibility that should make investors feel good at 25 times. Now, the flip side guy, real quickly, you saw Carter's charts on the alphabet, on the Google, and he thinks it's rolling over here a little bit. You know, this is one that right now is very defensible on a valuation basis. Yes, 100%. And by the way, I've been one of those people for weeks now, if not longer, that have tried to defend it on valuation only to watch the stock seemingly go down every single day. So you're 100% right in your assertion that valuation is compelling here without question, yet it has not traded particularly well effectively since December. It's had these series of basically lower highs, and it appears as though we're about to make a lower low, and that doesn't augur particularly well, I think, for the NASDAQ. I'll say this. You mentioned Snap. I think that was right to bring it up. It's not about Snap necessarily. I don't think the problems are Snap specific, but they will then manifest themselves into YouTube, obviously, right? And into these other areas, Facebook notwithstanding. And I think that's what we're looking at right now. And I think that's one of the reasons Google's traded so poorly. Yeah. So Carter, all year long, you know, we know that these consumer tech models, consumer oriented tech models, especially the ones with the reliance on advertising have been under pressure. When you think back and you just look at the charts and meta and snap, you see the gaps and those are because disappointing results, you know, Microsoft and their reliance on enterprise spend, right. And and their pre-announcement that we saw because of the dollar, you know, in June here, you know, there is some kind of trouble brewing in the enterprise space. The service now CEO a couple of weeks ago, you know, kind of laid out a little bit some of the challenges that some enterprise SaaS companies may have in the back half of the year. Talk to us about Microsoft, because this is obviously going to be the one that sets the stage for the whole space. And we also know that a lot of these SaaS names kind of report off cycle. We're going to get them, you know, in August or so. So talk to me a little bit about Microsoft here. Well, it's very similar, of course, to Google. You can see it's a head and shoulders top. When it when it breaks the 150 average and then it throws back to the underside of it, forming that right shoulder, it's been worse, uh, obviously, ever since. And it, too, is exhibiting poor relative strength to the S&P. Can something like this out of a tight formation pop like a Tesla? Sure it can. But notice even Tesla, okay, it did it, and then here it is. It's not, it's not progressing. It's stuck. I mean, kind of that's that. And so in many ways, that gets to the market. Let's say they all were to be good or not as bad as Fiat or outright better than people thought, and they all pop. But there's not a lot of follow through that. But what if, if, if it's not good, right? And you get something really sort of unsavory to the downside. It just feels like it's an asymmetrical moment in general for these names and also for the market. That's exactly right. I mean, Carter hit the nail on the head. In terms terms of the technicals, I think they speak for themselves. In terms of the fundamentals, don't underestimate the comments from Bill McDermott from ServiceNow when he was interviewed by Jim Cramer a couple weeks ago on Mad Money. And I think the market figured it out Clearly, the next day, Microsoft obviously warned on currency risk or currency hedging or whatever a couple months ago. And I think the next one's going to be a demand side of the story. And then people will start looking at Microsoft and say, well, wait a second. It trades at a premium to the market in terms of valuation. Do they deserve that type of premium valuation? And I think in the long term, the answer is yes. But I think in this environment, the answer is no. So 
That yeah. down arrow you see, I think that makes perfect sense, Dan. Well, you know, and I'm keeping an eye on this. This is their fiscal Q4. So they're going to likely give guidance for the next year, right? When they guide, you know, this week. And, you know, right now, to your point, Guy, trades about 24 times the fiscal 2023 number here, expected earnings growth and sales growth, kind of low teens. If that were to come in, if they were to guide down, maybe just being conservative due to the lack of visibility that they have because of dollar, because of, you know, potential for, a recession in enterprise pullback in spending. If you have this thing at you know high single digits expected earnings growth trading at 24 times, that's not going to wash. You're going to need to see that thing come in a little bit. So I agree with that. All right, this is the one that I think has been going to be really hard. That's why I think the technicals and, and Carter's take are going to be really important. Look at Amazon here, you know, and guy, you and I can talk about the fundamentals until we're blue in the face. I mean, obviously, you know, these guys had a massive pull forward with the pandemic and they overbuilt and logistics and hiring and a whole host of things. They had, you know, Jeff Bezos leave, new CEO. This was about a year ago, right? And so the company just made nearly a $4 billion acquisition of one medical last week. Some people are kind of scratching their heads like, how does that fit into the whole big picture, especially when you're trying to kind of reduce some of your spending. Thoughts here real quickly, Guy, on the fundamentals of Amazon because it's been much weaker than these large mega cap peers over the last, let's say, six to nine months. Yeah, well, the acquisition, I mean, $4 billion acquisition for them, I mean, you know, that's basically a rounding error. I don't want to make light of it, but, you know, I think you would submit as well. It's just a small foray into an area I think they want to be much yeah. bigger in. And I don't think it's necessarily going to move the need. I don't think you're suggesting that either, by the way. I think I would say the setup sets up very nicely into earnings. But, you know, I've thought that before, specifically with Facebook a couple of quarters ago, and that was a disaster. So, you know, Carter has sort of this rolling bottom that appears to be turning to the upside. And we should theoretically fill that gap that's been created from that downward move. We'll see. I think it really comes down to what Amazon wants to say. I mean, they can basically do whatever they want, seemingly in terms of margins, which to me is the entire business. Yeah, but Carter, before we get to your chart there, you know, one of the things that, you know, I hate to see that sort of move that we've had into an earnings event, right? And we're also in the sort of market where, you know, uh, you know, I don't really feel like people that exceed expectations, like to your point about what Tesla did, it clearly exceeded a lot of expectations. The sentiment wasn't particularly great headed into it, but, you know, up 10% and now down a little bit, I could see it kind of reversing that whole move. I just think it's kind of one step forward, two steps back or three or four steps back if it's a big disappointment. So talk to us, you know, Guy just mentioned that gap. What are you seeing here in the charts? Right, so the line drawn, right, the horizontal line is to depict just that. The issue is, let's say it's somehow good, right? And it somehow moves up and fills the gap, which is, they're like magnets, but that's the point. It's only 6%, it's six and a half. And it really, the, the real point is, yes, it's been bottoming and base, you can call that a little head and shoulders, but the problem is the upside is so capped. And this is the issue for the market. Once you drop, it's okay to drop 10 or 12. Once you drop 40 and 50%, whether it's a Target or a Walmart or a Peloton or Zoom down 80 or 90, you just can't get back to the surface for a long time, if ever. Right? Some stocks will never get back there. And so the highs that were put in in the market for the Qs or the S&P won't be exceeded for a very long time. And, and this is testament to that. Can Amazon have a good print fill the gap? That's the upside. So that's 6%. And if it's no good, maybe it falls that much or stays range bound. But you can just feel it's, to your point, it's already expended a lot of energy pre-earnings. It's moved up a lot, like Apple. 20%. Okay. So we can't yeah. quite expect that much. 
Yeah. So, Guy, would you look at this, you know, when we're looking at a lot of Carter's charts and these things, I mean, like, again, I mean, one step forward, two or three back. Do you think that if we are in the next week or two to get some kind of gap fills in some of these names that have definitely been out of favor, are they good opportunities to kind of sell some, take some profits or short them? I'm just curious how you're thinking of them because you don't listen. Amazon doesn't fix a year and a half of underperformance in one quarter in one guide. No. I think that's exactly right. Ask yourself, how do you want to position yourself in the earnings, if at all? Or how do you want to look at it post-earnings? I would submit you wait and see what they say. So if you get that gap fill, to your point, Dan, I think that's going to give you a real good opportunity to sell the stock if you're long and exit your position. Or if you want to do it vis-a-vis options or a short position, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to put on a short. If the quarter, let's just say, is a disaster and you trade lower than those new lows on extraordinary volume, I think that's going to be an opportunity to buy the stock for a trade and then to look for that subsequent gap fill. But those are the two scenarios, obviously, that are out there, and that's how we're trading on the back of them. Yeah. So, Carter, we know that you don't focus too much on the funny mentals, as you call them. But, you know, there's been lots of kind of, you know, just a little bits of pieces of information coming out of Meta over the last couple of months on a fundamental basis as it relates to hiring and spending. And I mean, the list goes on and on. It doesn't sound particularly great. It sounds like that they are like kind of battering down the hatches, if you will, for an extended rocky period. The stock's been cut in half this year, down 50% of the year, which is truly astounding because last fall, the thing ticked a trillion dollars in market cap. What's your take here? Because this thing broke out of a one-month range last week, and then the snap news just kind of brought it back in. Are we going to see a gap lower here? Right. So you have almost the answer, not to say it's the right answer, but it's my answer. <laughs> the fact that there are no lines, there are no arrows, there's yeah. nothing on the chart. It is just a pair of twos. This is truly, I mean, putting money long or short here, I think is outright speculation. It's all of it very speculative that we're doing or a game of chance, despite how much one studies them. Yeah. And so this one, uh, I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't right. want to be long going to the print or short. I want to get guys quick take on this from a fundamental standpoint, but you know, like, listen, I, I, I probably do chart fouls all the time. I've learned a lot of what I know about charting from you over the last, let's call it 12 years or so. I marked up a meta chart here. It's a one year chart here, or it's, excuse me, a five year chart here. Work with me on this one. I bought a little last month, a quarter position, same thing as I didn't snap. I was actually waiting for a gap. I did a podcast last week saying mind the gap. I was expecting a lot of these ad supported names to have gaps lower here. When you, look at this five-year chart, you see that uptrend from the start of 2017. I attached it to the 2019 low, the 2020 low. We are kind of right through it here. Now, granted, you say that those lows are not exact points here, you know what I mean? But it really feels like if you look at that 2019 low and the 2020 low between 140 and 120, there's gap room to the downside, which would be a massive move lower. Just curious if you think about it on that basis, if you had a negative fundamental view. I think the chart's exactly right. I'll let Carter speak to him. I'm sorry, Carter, but just- yeah, I No, no, I, I, I mean, look, let's just say the, the, the ascending line, the trend line, you've connected points and that's the, but we did undercut it this last go around. Now we're dawdling at it. Hence, it's ability to bounce and it did a bit, right? But as you say on the stop, it just fell back into the range from which it, the one month range, which it broke out. That's what makes it a pair of twos. Now, the second point you're making, could it really fall all the way down into the, the real lows that you've annotated there? 
I mean, obviously, that's the risk if there's something really, really bad. But it also speaks to so many things. One, anything can get cut in half, right? That's incredible. A name like this, too. You could trade 12 times earnings and still not be cheap, which is what this is. It's, uh, it's very speculative stuff. And just, just to sort of add to that, my point earlier about I thought Facebook set up extraordinarily well on the back of that earnings disaster, and it proved to be incorrect. Obviously, you had that line job, we call them, to the downside, right to the moving average. It felt like you know we did all the work necessary for a bounce. The subsequent bounce was sold off in a meaningful way. Now, here we are. I mean, I look at this chart and say, you know, we're probably set up to test that. I think probably the 140 level that you outlined in that horizontal line to the downside. And a lot of it is market forces without question. But a lot of this is Facebook specific as well, because long before we were talking about any of these things in the economy, Facebook was having their own issues. So this is sort of the double whammy for them. All right. We got to do one more before we get out of here. I know you got to get out in two minutes here, Carter. So we really appreciate you doing overtime with us. This was the snap and this was a 40% gap lower last Friday. And to your point, man, I mean, any stock that's been cut in half can get cut in half again. It's just Hmm. simple math here. You know, we're looking at our street accounts here. There's lots of downgrades. Morgan Stanley downgraded this stock, put an $8 target from 17 here. I bought a quarter position at 1280 in May. I've talked about it a little bit. I was waiting for one more gap. We got it. There was a 25% gap, a 35% gap, and now a 40% gap. This is just this year on earnings announcements here. And, you know, it's pretty bad. Sentiment is horrible here. Again, $16 billion enterprise value. I think in two or three years, this will be, I don't know, 30 or $40 billion, you know, enterprise value again. So I'm kind of working myself into a position. When you look at, you know, a chart since their IPO in 2017 and you see this action, is it kind of a free for all now? Is it just catching a falling life or do you see support there? It's both. I mean, it's anything that's this bad. You're saying, well, I should just today's the day. And just to put it, it's not about Morgan Stanley, right? People are highly educated, doing the best they can. That analyst that downgraded their price target to eight, you said, their price target in the beginning there was 70. I mean, it's nobody's fault. You just, sometimes you can't get it right. This has been a buy for the last, and now it's a sell when it's down here. Maybe it's the ultimate contrarian indicator that someone liked it at 70, doesn't like it down here. Maybe we flip it around. But the truth is the chart is, it's precarious, right? It's it's at a low. Does it balance? Uh, this is one I would say, let's let us let someone else play these cards. I'm playing. Real quickly, though, Dan, I will say this to your argument about potential capitulation. We've already traded 100 million shares today. It's 1.30 Eastern time, so we have two and a half hours left in the day. We're already at two times normal volume, having made a 52-week low at 9.66. So I think, again, Carter's spot on. But if you're looking for some silver linings here, it may come in the form of a big volume day. All right. Well, I think that's it, Carter. We really appreciate you kind of running us through the MAGA complex and your take on the S&P 500, which is definitely a change from a couple of weeks ago when you're calling for a bounce. We appreciate it. Guy, where can we find Carter's great work? Well, I mean, I just find him every day when I just turn on my Twitter machine or call (laughs) him up or email, but you can find him at worthcharting.com. And as I've said a gazillion times about EY and about Carter, if you're not following them on Twitter, You are doing Twitter wrong. And I just look at this old-fashioned technical analysis. Nothing Nothing. slick. 
Yeah. I wish I could come up with a rhyme for slick. I'll think about it. But well, anyway, you guys, you guys starts. should check out. You should check it out because a we get his work; it's phenomenal, and he also does those midnight madness, you know, videos and really updates throughout the day. So it's great stuff. The last thing I'll just say, guy, when you when you hear Carter say that about the the pure technicals, you know, you look at stories, I look at stories. The charts are inputs for us here, mm-hmm. and like I said, in May I bought some snap at twelve eighty. I fully expected another gap lower. Do I like the fact that it was a forty percent gap? Maybe. To your point about the volume, you're almost getting everyone else, everybody out. They just hate selling it, right? You know what I mean? Now, could it go lower? Yeah. So on Friday, I bought some at 10 and a half and at 10 bucks. And I'd love to average this thing. I'd love to get it down to about $10, $15 billion enterprise value. I think this will be a 40 or $50 billion company one more time in the next few years. And that's how I'm looking to get a three or four X on this sort of position. So that's my take there. All right, guy, I'm going to do, can I do a little speed round with you? Because oh, I, I know this. we got, I know we got to get out of here, but there's some I really, mean, it's so re- I mean, I'm looking at the clock. I said I know. 30 minutes. I know. We're, yeah, it's not going to happen. But really quickly here, and this kind of goes a little bit. I want to go through three names that are reporting earnings tomorrow morning because mm-hmm. I think they're going to kind of be really important to kind of our worldview, both about the economy, but also about markets and what expectations are. Just real quickly, we had a slide, City and UBS, they got differing views about how earnings are coming in so far. You know, obviously, there was a lot of trepidation if you thought about it at the lows in June. People were like, we're in a recession earnings would be horrible, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like new lows, new lows. Well, we have that bounce now. And so now we have to really digest the data and we're going to get a lot of it. We're also going to get Fed speak, but let's focus tomorrow morning specifically on these earnings. There's a lot of earnings coming out, but Coke, UPS, McDonald's, first one here, Coca-Cola, multinational, a lot of dollar exposure, right? Inflation, input costs, you know, supply chain, the whole, the whole nine yards here. Talk to me about that. You see the simple lines that I drew on this chart. Also, we know that valuation not cheap here. Give it to me on Coke. Well, recently made an all-time high. So if you build and pull it even farther, you'll see. I mean, this is yeah. a stock that are two and two weeks or so ago trading 67 an all-time high. Valuation, very hard to rationalize a stock trading at probably 25 times next year's numbers when you have maybe 9%, 10% or so EPS growth. It's been defensive. And that makes sense in this environment. But again, when valuations matter, Coke's not going to be impervious to that. So, you know, maybe you'll hear something good. But, you know, if you've enjoyed being long the stock, you know, I don't see a huge amount of upside in this environment. That's just me, Dan. Yeah, and, and a lot of it has to do with the dollar, right? And their mm-hmm. exposure overseas. And we know that we had Pepsi, I think it was a couple weeks ago. And that company was able to put up some good results. They're kind of managing some of these, you know, kind of supply chain issues and inflationary pressures pretty well. But to that chart, guy, you know, if you get a little bounce, you might get it to that downtrend, but I just don't see it breaking out in this environment. And on a miss and a guy down, you're going to be finding your way, I don't know, back towards 57, right? So we from 67 to 57, that's kind of support level here. All right, let's look at the dollar really quickly. Carter's had a negative call technically on it. You thought it could pull back. You thought the parabolic move last month was a little too much here. What would that mean for U.S. multinationals if we were to see, let's say, the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index, which is 50% euro? We know the euro just went to parity. If we were to see that back at 104, does it really change much? No, it's not. I mean, obviously, it'll some of the headwinds that a stronger dollar creates will abate a bit. But yeah. you know whether the dollar is 103 or 106 in the long term, I don't think it's going to have that much of a meaningful impact. It's really directionally what happens. And you know we thought the dollar would pull back. Carter specifically, I thought so as well. And it's done exactly that for the reasons that we cited. The question is, is there a little bit left in this tank to the downside? 
I would submit, yeah, you could probably see the dollar pull off just a little bit more here, but I think the trajectory speaks for itself. It's lower left, upper right. And I think like every other sell-off that you've seen effectively over the last yeah. eight or nine months has been bought, I think that's what's going to happen this time as well. You know, I'll just say this really quickly on the dollar. Obviously, you know, the UK is not part of the euro here. and But, you know, obviously there's a lot of political unrest there with Boris Johnson just stepping down, with Draghi stepping down in Italy. I mean, the potential for just this kind of eurozone to be just, just a political mess where we could see the euro come in more. And just that has nothing really to do with the strength of the dollar. The reasons that, you know, people, if you're domiciled here, might think the dollar is strong here, right? And so by default, you could just be seeing that sort of strength. You know, another name that's reporting tomorrow morning, McDonald's guy that obviously has the same issues as it relates to dollar supply chain inflation. I mean, the list goes on and on. Some of the areas in which they are expected to get growth in the emerging world, you know what I mean, are kind of, you know, there's still zero COVID in China and Europe is a mess, that sort of thing. Talk to me a little bit about this one. I just drew a couple lines here, broke that uptrend that's been in place since June here, mid-June or so. It had a really nice run, couldn't get through those kind of prior highs. What's your take on McDonald's? Yeah, you know, in terms of valuation, it's it's reasonable compared to itself historically, I think. So valuation's not a huge concern. The concern really are input costs and how is that going to affect margins? And I don't think there's any way around it. It's going to affect margins. So it comes down to what are you willing to pay for a dollar of earnings for a McDonald's? And is McDonald's defensive in this environment? I just don't think it's really compelling Either way right now, I think it's sort of sideways, actually. I'm not trying to shuck your question here or dodge it in any way, but I think you would submit that there's no real clear path one way or another in this one. Well, last few times it's gone through that 200-day moving average guy. It's had, what, 5 to 10% downward moves. And if it's a fundamental reason that it does that, I think you see 230 in this thing. Really quickly, this is the fourth largest holding in the XLY, that is the Consumer Discretionary mm-hmm. ETF. You see that Amazon is nearly a quarter of the weight. And it's not going to surprise you that that XLY chart looks a lot like that Amazon chart that Carter just walked us through. You see that level. It's come down to that kind of gap resistance level here. But it's had a big run. Obviously, Tesla was a big part of that. Home Depot's had a nice run of late here. Are you doing anything with the XLY? Especially, listen, if Amazon is really stuck in the mud, let's say it bounces a little bit, but then comes back in. Let's say Tesla gives back some of those recent gains, which I think it will. Let's say the housing data is going to continue to weigh on Home Depot. You know, playing for the XLY, a retest of those recent lows could make some sense. I think that's the exact right trade. My view here is, and we talked about it in earnings. Now, listen, I would be the first to say, that I didn't think Tesla would breach 800. I thought it would stop at 775 post earnings. That was wrong. But if you think Tesla is going to do sort of a, a rounding top here and head lower, which I do, and if you think Amazon potentially could be a bit of a disappointment, which I also do, then almost by definition, you have to be short this or have some sort of bearish position playing for a new low. So I'm, sp- I'm, I'm right on with you. This yeah. bounce has been on the back of Amazon sort of finding its legs, but most definitely Tesla obviously going from 600 to 810. All right, last one here, buddy. Then we get out of here. UPS, that's United Parcel Service. I kind of believe that you worked there once, mm-hmm. weren't you? you? Yeah, you were, you you were know, dressed funny in thing, brown. <laughs> excuse me. The funny thing about my employment at UPS, <laughs> I worked yeah. there for a day, less than a day actually, and I actually received employee <laughs> of the month. First time and last time that's ever happened in the history of the country. Here's the problem with UPS. Not that it's a problem. It's probably a better run company than Federal Express. It also trades at a huge premium to Federal Express. And I think what you've seen over the last couple months is the market saying, look, it is a better company, but it does not deserve 
premium valuation. And I think that's why you've seen the stock sell off like it has. I'll just say this on the chart, though, guy, you look at that 190 level there. It looks like some pretty compelling technical resistance. You see those lows from December in January at around 193, 194. So if it were to get through that on some decent fundamental news, you could have this stock back up easily above 200. But again, on a valuation basis, given all the concerns that we know about inflationary pressures and supply chains and all that sort of stuff, and maybe a weakening consumer, right, may not be the play. So that one is really interesting to me just to hear what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And we don't preview these names like you got to make a trade before them. I preview these names because I'm really interested in kind of how it I guess shapes my trading and my investment view on the way out, right? And so I might miss the gap up or down, however I'm playing for, but it may give me more confidence to play that name going forward or some other name in the space. Lastly, IYT, that is the iShares, the transport ETF, okay, tracks the transport space UPS is the largest holding at 19%. You see that downtrend. We could run a trend channel there, but look at it. It just broke out above it. It's making that little flag here. I mean, obviously, whichever way UPS goes, this thing's either going to break back down towards that downtrend or possibly get us kind of, you know, concertedly out of it. I think it's going to be the former. I think you've seen the bounce. We broke through the trend line, sort of exhausted ourselves to the upside, moving average, sloping lower for the first time in quite some time. You know, the rails have been a big part of this bounce. But again, if UPS is disappointing, if you hear anything, this thing completely does a back and fill down to that trend line. It would make perfect sense, by the way, to have a test of that sloping downtrend line and see what happens if and when we get there. All right. Listen, this is going to be a big week. We kind of laid it out at the start of this market call tomorrow, guy. It's just going to be you and me. We're going to be doing it for our friends through the CME. I had a little rhyme there. We are going to hit all things macro. We're going to preview that Fed meeting. I know this was this was a heavy single stock day. Tomorrow is going to be heavy macro. And I hope that Amanda Diaz, our crack producer, will post a picture of me, my day at UPS. It's actually a fantastic picture. There's, associ- there's a video that's associated with it as well. I'll try to effort that and put that up as well, Dan, Nathan. All right, fair enough. This was fun, guys. It's great to be back with you. To take us out, you want me to do that? Take us out. I don't read prompter. Well, we are about. I'm looking at the clock. We're eight minutes late. I apologize. That's on me, folks. I got to keep this thing a little speedy. But that's it for today's market call. I enjoyed it. The rain. I'm looking out the window has subsided for now, but we'll see what happens later. Thanks, Carter Worth, for joining us. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet. We are obviously powered by Open Exchange. As Dan mentioned, the two of us will be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And maybe by then, Dan, just maybe, I don't have any knowledge about this, but you may be hearing of a trade that the New York Yankees make ahead of the Subway Series. Stay tuned, sports fans. Stay tuned. All right, bud. That was fun. See you tomorrow.